The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
John just mentioned the, the, the tabernacle. You see it out there in the parking lot. I really hope you get a chance to go through that. I hope most of you have. It's amazing to see when you actually get to a physical, visible image of something instead of just words out of the Bible. When I went through it, the, the thing that struck me the most was that was built because God wants a relationship with us. When he first started in Exodus, he told Moses, build this so that I may dwell among you. He wants a relationship with us. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve had eaten of forbidden fruit, how did God find out? He was walking through the garden looking for them. He wanted to be with them. <clears throat> when you go through the, the tabernacle and you enter inside the thing that everyone has a different thing that strikes them the hardest for me it was the, the altar of incense when you look at it and you see the incense and you've ever watched smoke it doesn't just go straight up does it kind of waves back and forth but it's always going up and in Revelations it talks about when the seventh seal is broken, how the angel appears with the gold bowl of incense, and he says, this is mixed with the prayers of the saints. It reminded me, those are our prayers going up to God the Father, and it's a sweet aroma to him. Don mentioned in, you know, before we got started about the day of prayer coming up how important that is for us because that's how we communicate with God. You know, He wants a relationship with us, right? You cannot have a relationship without communication. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. This is His way of drawing us closer to Him. <clears throat> I was up here not long ago, and I, again, I talked about prayer. And I was talking about how hard it is to pray when sometimes you don't know what to say. Sometimes there's other things that may hinder our prayers because maybe we don't know how. Maybe we don't feel worthy. <clears throat> but I look in Luke chapter 11. Even the disciples, when they were with Jesus, in 11 verse 1 they came to him and asked, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. They, they longed to learn how, and they didn't feel adequate in doing it. <clears throat> well, this story is retold again in, in, in Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> I want to read to what Jesus says about prayer. When you pray, starting in verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that all that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. And then your Father who sees everything will reward you. 
When you pray, don't dabble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over and over again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask Him. And then right after that is when He gives what we call the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes, too, we get hung up on saying those words. You know, we all... We all know that, don't we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I don't think that's what Jesus meant here. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I'm qualified enough to go into an in-depth discussion on prayer. But Jesus doesn't say, pray this. Read that again. He says, pray like this. Pray like this. I don't think prayer is something that you have to say thee and thou and hath and the King James language for God to hear your prayer. Prayer is a conversation with our God, strengthening our relationship with Him. It can be done in a car. It can be done at work, in a desk, any time. And it, it doesn't have to have a form. Just talk to God. Jesus says right here in Matthew, He knows what you need before you even ask Him. Those times that we feel like we can't talk to God because we're ashamed, He already knows. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for us. This conversation is what strengthens our relationship, which... The whole parking lot is full of symbols saying God wants that relationship with you. We're fixing to take communion. That was instituted during a meal. When Jesus sat down, they all had a meal together. It was part of their relationship. And because of what Jesus did for us, He brought us in to His family. He opened the doors for us to have this relationship. This is how we remember this. We celebrate that gift and we honor God through our prayers and through partaking of this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus and for the gift of prayer and for the relationship that you seek with us. Father, we pray that you will touch our hearts, open our hearts, and soften our hearts. Hopefully, Father, that we will desire a relationship with you just as much as you do with us. Father, take our minds back to this sacrifice, that what it took to bring us into your family, that we are your children, and that we will spend eternity with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A hope chest is an interesting piece of furniture. According to Brides Magazine that I read constantly, um, <clears throat> a hope chest is a traditional gift to the daughters in a family as, as a way to collect special items to store until she's married. The hope chest has also been called a dowry chest and a bridal trousseau. Inside it, you're supposed to keep Items of a practical personal nature or precious things, practical things 
and precious things. From a practical nature, uh, they're often stored dishes and towels and sheets and household items. Of a precious nature, sometimes clothing items, sometimes a veil, something that was passed down from mothers or grandmothers. When it came to America, they started making them in, out of cedar wood because of the moths and keeps them safe and clean. But I just think it's really neat that we have a piece of furniture that is devoted to the word hope, a hope chest. We're in this series, The Dwelling Place, and we'll finish it up this week. If you'll join me in Exodus 25, if you're online or on the radio, Exodus 25, we're going to look at the seven pieces of furniture. We're going to finish up this series today. So by way of test, kind of let's, let's see if we can go through it. You, you enter through the east, through the line of Judah. What's the first piece of furniture you're going to see? Bronze altar. altar of sacrifice. There we are, bronze altar. Come on, this is audience participation. All right. First thing you're going to see is bronze altar. What's the next piece of furniture? The labor. We wash our hands, we wash our feet. Then we go into the holy place. If we turn to the left, to the, to the south, you're going to see a lampstand. Yes, you're going to see candles, lampstand. If we go back to the north, uh, to the right, you're going to see a table of bread. Table of bread, table of fellowship. And then directly in front of you is an altar of incense. Now, some of you are ahead of me. You're like, okay, that's five, Don. You said there's seven, and we know there's only one thing in that other thing, and you don't math very well. I get it. You're right. I don't math very well. But technically, in the most holy place, there are two pieces of furniture. One we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The top was called the mercy seat, the atonement cover. And then at the bottom of that thing that we call together is the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to look at that one today. Ark of the Covenant, Exodus 25. Join me in Exodus 25, starting in verse 10. Have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. Overlay it inside and outside with pure gold and run a molding of gold all around it. Cast four gold rings and attach them to its four feet. Two rings on each side make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. These carrying poles must stay inside the rings, never remove them. When the ark is finished, place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Now, Exodus tells us to make a sacred chest. And according to what we talked about a minute ago, what are, what are things that are in a hope chest? Things that are precious, things that are practical. Now, according to Exodus here, it says put the stone tablets in there. But if you go over to Hebrews chapter 9, it'll tell you there are two other items in there. There are the stone tablets, there is a gold jar of manna, and there is Aaron's staff. And each of those represents something very powerful. They are very meaningful, they're precious, and they're very practical. The first one is the tablets. What is on the tablets? Is it, are you sure? Are you sure it's the Ten Commandments? Because look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. When the ark is finished, place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. 
Now, if you answered Ten Commandments, I'm not going to argue with you, okay? You're, you're right, but I love how it worded there. It's, it's more than just a bunch of laws. It's more than a bunch of check marks. It is the terms of the covenant. You see, the people of Israel got their relationship with God at the mercy seat. God's law represents God's mercy. It represents the covenant. It was never meant to be a, a negative thing. It was always to show how much God loved you. So the, the tablets represent God's mercy. The next thing you'll find in this box is a jar of manna. That represents how God provided for them. If you go back to Exodus 16, you'll see when the manna started first coming out that God told them to keep a jar of it as a memorial, and later on we find that. Problem with that. How many, what, what happens to manna if you take too much and you keep it overnight? Spoils, gets maggots. Do we really want maggots in that gold box? But yet again, the provision of God, this didn't spoil. God made that particular jar. And they didn't have mason jars with good type lids on them, all right? These was just a jar, and God allowed this to stay alive, stay valuable. It showed the provision of God. And then the last thing is this staff, Aaron's staff. You've got to go all the way to Numbers 17 to find the story of the staff. In there, you'll find that they were trying to decide who was going to be the leaders in the tabernacle, in the temple. And in there, God said, all right, take a staff from every one of the tribes, lay them in front of the ark. And they come back the next day, and Aaron's staff has buds and leaves and things from an almond tree on it. Does that sound familiar? A couple of weeks ago, we did the lampstand that has buds and leaves and almonds. Do you see how it, how it continues to play together? This shows that God's plan was in place. God was alive. This, this stand, this, this staff, it, it never died. It was always alive in there. It was God's plan. It was God's choosing. These are the items that are in Israel's hope chest. They are practical. They remind them of mercy, of provision, of God's plan. And they are precious. Those things are like nothing else on this earth. And these items went with them. They were held in high esteem. Wherever they went, the ark went with them. The, when the Lord was with them, that cloud would be there and that pillar of fire. In fact, when they moved it into Solomon's temple, when Solomon built the permanent temple in 2 Chronicles 5, it said the presence of God was so bright that the Levites had to run away. They, they couldn't even see in there. They were being blinded by the greatness of God. The, the ark went with them everywhere when they went around the walls of Jericho. What led them around the walls of Jericho? The ark. They walked with the ark. It, it led them into battles, and later on, the, the Philistines captured it in 1 Samuel chapter 5. They thought they were big stuff. They take it, they take it back to their hometown, and they put it in the temple to Dagon. And they set it in there. They're like, these silly Israelites. They get up the next morning, the statue of Dagon is knocked over. Like, well, that was weird. All right, so we set it back up. And the next day, it's knocked over again, and it's bowing down to the altar to the Ark of the Covenant. And then suddenly the Philistines started getting boils and tumors and getting sick. And everybody was, was really, really sick. And after a week or so, they just 
they just took it back to Israel and said, we're really sorry. Just take this thing away, all right? We don't really want this thing around. It, this thing was not, this box was not meant to be mishandled. In 2 Samuel 6, you'll see one of the most interesting stories in all of Scripture. David, King David, mishandled the Ark of the Covenant. He put it on a cart. Now, you and I might sit there and go, what's the big deal? He's just trying to move it real easily. Except we just read in Exodus, those poles are never to leave. That's how it's supposed to be carried. Well, they put it on this cart, and they're taking it somewhere. And a guy named Uzzah was doing a good thing. He was walking along, keeping an eye on the cart. cart starts to tip over. He reaches up, and he holds on to the Ark of the Covenant. And what happens to him? Dead. Zap dead right there. Now, you might be sitting there going, then why do we have this thing in our parking lot, Don? Uh, we don't want any business with this. Didn't you not see the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark? We don't want to touch this thing. The ark signified the presence of God was with them. You hear that? Is that a fair statement? Ark signified the presence of God. I want to ask you a question. I want you to listen really close to the question. What in your life signifies that God's presence is with you? Now, I didn't ask, do you go to church? I didn't ask if you're a good person or if you have the right Bible or if you've even been baptized. What in your life signifies that the presence of God is with you? What's in your hope chest? What's in the box? Don't worry, that won't stay up there long if you've seen that movie. It's really creepy. So, In the box was mercy, was provision, was God's plan. If these are precious and practical things... What have you placed in your box of His presence? And I said that word placed specifically. We don't toss things in our box of presence. We place them there. What have you intentionally put in your life? What can others see intentionally in your life that, that hope and God's presence is with you? Now you might be sitting there going, well, God is with me. I get that. Are you with God? You see, the presence of God in this world is not in dispute. Some have said, well, we kick God out of schools. Friends, God never left schools. Never. Because we have godly people. We have godly teachers. We have tons of them in this room right here. God has never left this country. God has never left our state house. God has never left, God's never left Russia or Ukraine or Iran. God has never left those places. His presence is not in dispute. My question is, are we recognizing it? Are we seeing His presence? We've talked many times here. You don't work for victory. We work from victory. You get it? We work from what He has done. What is it that is showing in your life that His victory is showing through your life? We've done this series not to to be about a bunch of warm fuzzies, but to be Bible literate. So we'll know what the Bible says and that we will live as the Israelites did, walking in the presence of God. Now back to this piece of furniture called a hope chest. I just, I just love that name. I just think that's an incredible name for a, a piece of furniture, a hope chest. A box devo- devoted to hope. I read a story the other day about a guy that was driving... 
older guy was driving down the road in a Ford pickup, and it broke down on the side of the road. Now, before you start sending me memes about you shouldn't drive a Ford, found on road dead, I already drive a Ford, all right? Don't make fun of my truck. I like it, okay? But this was an old Ford truck, and he was driving down the road. It broke down. It was on the side of the road, and nobody was stopping to help him. He was out there under the hood trying to figure something out. Nothing was working. In a few minutes, a limousine pulls up. Big, long, black limousine. Back window rolls down. The guy says, hey, can I help you out? And he said, I don't know. Nobody else has stopped, and I can't get it to start again. I don't know what's going on. He said, well, let me look. And he gets out out of the limo, full tuxedo, dressed to the nines, right? Spot on, and he's and this man beside the road's looking at him. So he goes over there and he looks in there and he climbs up on the bumper, twinkles around for eight or ten minutes. Suddenly, it's running like a charm, and he's in a tux and he's he takes out his white handkerchief and he's wiping off his hands. He's about to get back in, and the old man beside the road says, "I'm sorry. I wish I could pay you. I wish I I, I just don't have any money." And he said, "Oh, it's all right. I'm just happy to help." And and then the the man on the road said this, "What would make someone like you?" Stop and help someone like me. And the man that was about to get in the limo, he turned around and he said, My name is Henry Ford. And that's one of my creations. And I don't like seeing my creations broken down on the side of the road. Now some of you are ahead of me on the metaphor there. Do we realize our God loves His creations? And He doesn't want to see them broken down. Do we realize that our hope is not in, is it running? Is everything okay? Our hope is in God eternal. We've sang it this morning. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus. But some of us live like our Savior is our wallet or our talents or our popularity or our politics or our whatever. You know what I'm saying? That's going to save us. No, there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. Why would he fail now? He won't. He never has. He never will. You see, our hope is not in the situation. It's in a God that is bigger. I've been privileged to do a good number of weddings in my lifetime. I did one yesterday. I love weddings. I've had good weddings. I've had uh, weddings. Uh, You know, there's been all kinds. But one of my favorite stories about weddings comes from one of my uh, favorite, beloved preachers and writers, a guy named Robert Fulgham. If that name sounds familiar, he wrote a book in the 80s called All I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. All right, so classic, it's fantastic. He's an old preacher. And he tells the story of not just any wedding, but this wedding was Im- um, immense. It was the wedding to end all weddings, a Cecil B. DeMille production, he said. A royal wedding fit for a princess bi- a bride all run by the MOTB, the mother of the bride. Uh, I Don't start poking and, and pointing, all right? I'm just telling you this is his story. He said, seven months of preparation. That rarely a week went by that she wasn't in my office at least twice a week talking about something about the wedding. Uh, during the preparation, one of the caterers called him and said, is this really a wedding that's happening? And he said, no, it's an invasion, all right? It's... It, It's a deal. Listen to this. An 18-piece orchestra, 20 bridesmaids, 20 groomsmen in bought tuxes. Not rented, bought, purchased tuxes. Nothing was left to chance. Nothing could prevent victory on this wedding day. Let me just share Robert Fulgham's words. The bride had been dressed for hours, if not days. 
No adrenaline was left in her body. Left alone with her father in the reception hall of the church while the march of the maidens went on and on, she had walked along the tables laden with gourmet goodies and absentmindedly sampled the mints. Then she picked through the bowls of mixed nuts and ate the pecans, followed by a cheese ball or two, a handful of glazed almonds, a little sausage with a frilly toothpick on it, and a couple of shrimps blanketed in bacon. To wash this down, a glass of pink champagne that her father gave her to calm her nerves. What came next will forever be retold in the annals of wedding planner history. For what was coming down that aisle was not a, a bride, but a living grenade with the pin pulled out. The bride threw up just as she walked by her mother. And by threw up, I don't mean a polite little ladylike erp into her handkerchief. I mean she hurled. There's just no nice word for it. She hosed the front of the chapel, hitting two bridesmaids, the groom, a ring bearer, and me. I'm quite sure of the details. We, all have, we have it all on videotape. She had three cameras worth. But that's not the end of the story. So ten years later, on their tenth anniversary, this couple rent a hall, and they get a caterer, and they invite everybody from the wedding. And they set up three TVs and sync them all together with all of these videotapes from this disaster. And they showed it, and people roared with laughter. I mean, it was just hilarity ensued. People falling down. This is the best. And they all knew the part that was coming, and they all wanted to see it again. It just was unmitigated joy. How on earth do you celebrate such a colossal disaster? I'll tell you how. It's the same thing I tell every couple that I meet with in my office in here right before. You can spend $250,000 on a wedding. Or you can spend $25 and go down to the courthouse and buy the little license. We can meet here on the steps and say, do your don't you? We'll kiss her and let's go eat. All right. That's all you have to do. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day... The bride gets the groom and the groom gets the bride. You hear me? At the end of the day, after all of the hilarity, the bride was married to the groom and the groom was married to the bride. Okay, Don, what on earth does that have to do with an Ark of the Covenant out there in our parking lot? Why are we here today? How on earth can we sing praises that my hope is in Christ alone when in this very room, people are dealing with cancer. How do you sing in the face of Parkinson's disease or divorce? How do you, how do you be happy when some are dealing with infertility or miscarriages? Some are battling depression or anxiety. And you're hurting and, and you're dealing with... A, a child or that has grown up and has run away and is not living with you or with the Lord, how, how do we rejoice in these difficult times? I'll tell you why. Because at the end of the day, the bride, the church, gets the groom, Jesus. That is what our hope is built in. Hope is not in our circumstances. Hope is not in, man, I hope it's not cancer. Or I hope I have enough money. Our hope is in a Savior. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, That is why we never give up. 
Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Hope hope is the certainty that I'm with God no matter how the situation turns out. No matter what is going on out there, I trust that it makes sense. Now, our premise this whole time is the tabernacle is no longer a tent out there. It is right here. And all of these pieces of furniture point us to Jesus. Well, if the tabernacle is right here, then we need hope in our chest. A hope chest. We need to be filled. We need to be the most hope-filled people on the planet. But too often we miss the gift of the presence of God. I, I heard quite a number of people say some statement like this. I loved being out there and watching people come out of the tabernacle. And quite a few made a statement that was something similar to this. Wow, we take so much for granted. All that the Israelites went through. And we can just walk right up to God. Several people made some statement close to that. I mean, all the things that they had to do to go through just to get a little bit of a glimpse of a relationship with God. They didn't have prayer. They didn't have communion. They didn't have these times together. They had one day a year. And we can do it any day a year. Why don't we do that more? Why don't we soak in His presence more? I love these words that come from the pen of St. Peter 2,000 years ago in 1 Peter 1. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. This is from the message, by the way. It's 1 Peter 1, verse 4 through 7. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. We don't work for our victory. We work from his victory. But what is, what is on display in your hope chest? Are they seeing hope come out of you? Or are they seeing a bunch of complaints? Well, our world's just falling apart. Everything's going bad. Everything's terrible. Are we filled with hope because our God is bigger than everything out there? We miss hope in our hope chest. I'll tell you another thing we often miss is this word peace. We need that in our chest. If we're putting precious practical things in there. We need peace. How many of you use our word for today, a little devotional? They got some out there. If you, if you don't take them, take one or two of those and look through them. Keep them around. We have plenty of them. We want those to go out. I don't get them. I don't read them every single day. I catch sometimes a Monday of this week. For some reason I turned and I started reading Thursday of this week. I told you I don't math very well. Okay. So I just started reading Thursdays for no apparent reason. And it says this, Thursday, April 20th, you'll notice in the listing of the fruit of the Spirit that patience comes right after peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, all that stuff. Why? 
Because when you have peace in your heart, practically nothing can cause you to feel impatient. And I wanted to scream at that author. How dare you be correct? How, do, how dare you think I don't have patience? Huh? Listen to that line again. Because when you have peace in your heart, practically nothing can cause you to feel impatient. Friends, patience is not something we get out of a self-help book. It's not something we can psych ourselves up for. Okay, today, I'm going to be more patient today. I'm not going to yell at them kids today. Okay, tomorrow, I'm not going to yell at them kids tomorrow. It's not going to work that way. It doesn't matter how much we psych ourselves up. It is a derivative of what is in our chest. Now, please understand, do as I say, not as I do, because I battle this. Anybody else battle peace, patience? Anybody? Okay, yeah, yeah. there's like eight hands up and the rest of you are lying. It's okay. <laughs> I know it, but I, I, I don't know it. You know what I mean? I know it, but I, I fail to practice it. But friends, patience is a byproduct of peace. And if I'm not having enough patience in my life, maybe I don't need to go chase after patience. Maybe I need to soak in His presence. Is this making sense? So before we finish this tabernacle series, you need to hear this. God can do more with your surrender than you can do with your control. Now, that's painful, but it's true. And I know this is a hard season for some of you dealing with divorce, dealing with children moving on and growing up, or loneliness, or chronic pain, or death of a loved one, or death of a dream. Do you realize when Israel met the tabernacle, they were in a very dry place? When they had come out of 600 years of slavery, the very first thing that comes out of their mouth is a bunch of complaints. Man, it was better back over there. We just should be. It's Everything's terrible. And God says, hey, build me a place. I'll come live with you. I'll dwell with you. I'll be with you. And I hope you've seen as we have gone through the steps of this thing, every step points to Jesus. He is clearly a part of the tabernacle. Each piece of of furniture reminds us of God's plan, of His purpose, of of what worship is, of what His goodness is, even if it's not working out for you right now. We will accomplish so much more by surrendering. We've been loved. We need to let Him love us. Love us in His family. Kind of like what these firemen are doing for, for an older man. Listen to this, if you would. Fire Station 1 in Lansing, Michigan is not a restaurant, but it does have a regular customer. Here you go, Tony. Thank you. You want some Kool-Aid? I got my pump. Okay. Tony Tuminello has a mental disability, but definitely not an eating one. He never misses a meal here. And why should he? The firemen all pitch in to pay for his food and even provide transportation to and from. All right, boss, here we go. And that's just a small sampling of the service they provide him. All right, see you. Tony has his own place, but he pretty much just sleeps there. Good night, Tony. Bye. He also has his own job at a local flower market, but he pretty much just works there. Otherwise, he's at the station and has been about six hours a day, nearly 365 days a year, 
for almost 60 years now. Yeah. It was 1953 when, at the age of 13, Tony went up to some firemen in his neighborhood. Did they invite you to come back to the station? Yep. And you did? Yep. And you never left? Nope. <laughs> Over the years, things have changed, however. That's amazing. What started as one act of kindness for a kid has clearly evolved into something much more. Yeah, you too. It's really special. I, I, I really can't put it into words. A lot of the guys either couldn't put it into words or use the same word. You know, he's like family. He's just family. We we'll definitely use the word family. And they treat him exactly as such. No coddling here. They play jokes on Tony, as brothers do, like take his cane. And Tony will tease them right back. My assistant here. Like when he calls battalion chief Jim Marino his assistant. Oh, I just got demoted again. <laughs> oh, you better get it straight. I'll never get it straight. Although the brotherly teasing continues, as Tony ages, the guys have started to play another role, too. Like the children of an aging parent, the firefighters do his laundry, clean his hearing aids. They even bathe Tony now. What if these guys weren't here? What would your life be like? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't like thinking about that? No. Fortunately, he never will have to think about that. Tony's got a place forever, yeah. All firefighters are heroes. Oh, chop, chop. But at Station One, they are before they ever leave the building. All right. Steve Hartman, on the road in Lansing, Michigan. The tabernacle was always designed to show God's desire for relationship with us. He wants to pull us into family. Look, I know my sin, and i got a hunch you know your sin, and none of us deserve His presence. None of us deserve the, the gift of walking into the throne room, climbing up on His lap and telling Him our, our concerns, our worries, our fears. But He built this to pull us in, never to push us away, never to catch somebody in sin, but to draw us into family. That's always been the design. It's no longer a tent. It's right here. Is there hope in your chest? Is there peace in your chest? And does this world see it? Because that, that's the relationship we all need. Would you pray with me? God, we need to be your family. We want to be your family. And we trust that you are God that you are the God bigger than any circumstance, any fear, any trouble, any struggle. You have never given up. You have never failed, and you're not going to start now. You are mighty to save. So save us. Draw us into family. Make us your children today. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.